Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. time we're going to start. Good to see you all. Uh, what I'm not going to do tonight is say we'll pray because we'll have to see where we get and do that after in whatever context we need it. Uh, I appreciate Chris taking a, um, the load on this one for various reasons but greatly appreciate that. It's very, very kind and uh, you know I'll throw me two pen thin as uh, as it may be necessary or not at the end. Um, what I would say about prayer, um, in life, um, all addictions that are created to resolve a problem uh, engage something that's known as mood-altering substances, Okay. So forget the whatever the exact thing is, whether it's alcohol or whether it's whether it's uh, you know prescription drugs or or you know whatever classified a classified drugs or whether it's pot or whatever, um, and they are mood altering substances. That the reason we take them is not because we think I'm just going to drink all that or I'm going to. We do it because we like. The sensation when the mood is altered. Now, unfortunately, and I have you have to grasp this: worship, praise, preaching, prayer can all become the church's version of mood-altering substances. That actually, the reason we grab them is not because we've understood the essence of what they are, but we grab them because of what they do to our mood. So we actually feel better, or we feel fulfilled or just like you know some of you will be familiar with the the phrase you know I had a tough thing to face so I took some Dutch courage which basically means you have a little tot of the old uh, you know to see you on your way um, we, we have equivalents now um, that does not say therefore that these elements um, are in themselves invalid or invaluable but it does say that if we don't understand the usage of them, we can very easily fall into the trap of using them as a mood-altering substance. you understand what I'm saying? So we feel better, but the question would be, having felt better, have we actually accomplished anything or moved the kingdom of God forward? Now, again, people who think absolutes will then say, well, it's wrong to feel better. No, it's good to feel better but we need to put these things in the right category. Otherwise, what we finish up defending is the thing. We defend the thing. So let me give you a little illustration before I I put Chris on. Um, When the children of Israel left Egypt um, into this place that they didn't really know where they were going, going, they just knew they were supposed to go. So they were in a season of uncertainty, okay? We don't really know where we're going, and, uh, uh, you know, of the seasons of life, if there's one season we don't like, it's the season of uncertainty. Because, you know, you know summer, winter, spring, um, autumn, 
you, you know what you're going to get basically in those seasons. The problem is that we in our journey have what Paul Scanlon calls a fifth season. And it's, it's the season of transition. And the season of transition is the season of uncertainty because you are transitioning from the familiarity with one season to the familiarity of another. And it's going to be different, but you're not there yet. So when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, the moment they hit adversity, they immediately reverted to familiar. So when they constructed the golden calf, because this guy Moses had been gone for a while, they were reverting to familiarity. That was their mood altering. So they then have this worship service around the golden calf because the golden calf represented what they understood God to be. So you've got to understand, it wasn't just, oh, we just built a golden calf because we thought, what shall we make? Let's make a cow. Yeah, let's do that. No, the bull, as it would have been, the bull was representative of how they understood God's to be represented in the culture that they had lived in for 400 years. So what, in essence, they were doing is in the time of uncertainty... They altered their mood by creating, recreating, molding an image of something with which they were familiar, which actually needed to be torn down because it was taking them away from truth. So uh, in all of this, prayer is one of those things that we need to look at. We need to validate it, but we need to recognize it for what it is and for what it isn't. Therefore, of course, what Chris will have to do is do some deconstruction in order that we can do some some construction. So I bless you and I'm going to resist the thing because it's now all my practice says so let's just pray and then we'll and I'm like ah I'm going to pray because I want to hear what she's got to say first and then and and then I will I will measure my praying to be politically correct with with whatever she teaches. So we're blessed and so just let's receive tonight. Right remember that we're not going to uncover everything in one evening. I mean I've spent uh, probably 14 hours um, from the very early hours of last night, this morning, and all day today. And uh, we're only just touching the surface, really. I've purposely kept off the Old Testament uh, for any references other than a few, um, because that will give you a total different angle because of how um, what was going on in, in them was evolving at the time. So there's things that we have to consider there but we cannot do it in, in one evening. So please be very patient. And uh, also, can we make sure that we're not saying that we're coming to conclusions immediately? We are, first of all, we're creating a pot that everything can be thrown into. And then we're going to, you know, give it a bit of a stir, see what comes out. But the thing is, we can get the pot out next week and chuck it all back in if, if we want to. And I mean, some people really struggle with that. And I understand that. You want certainty you want to be able to leave this place thinking oh I know what I'm I'm doing now but that's not always how it can be uh it may be that as I'm speaking there'll be some things that just just you know flash into your spirit and that will be all you needed to know tonight so don't worry about it all just get the the the, the little bit um uh I, I this question came up at um our um leaders uh operational leaders last week about the, the actual question was where does the house stand on prayer well that's quite a big question isn't it how you know uh, what do we basically believe as a house about prayer and uh, 
let's just say that we're not just talking about it tonight because we've never talked about it. We've talked about it quite a bit. You'll remember things like we have a prayer life, not a prayer time. That, I mean, that's many years ago we, we, we brought that out. And um, so we have touched on this stuff uh, in bits, but, you know, we've never really done it to this degree. Now, I've tried, because I know how you like um, visual stuff, I've tried, but sometimes it turns around and bites you, doesn't it? You're, trying to, you're thinking, of, how can I do this? And I'm not really sure. So I've had a, a bit of an idea. I've only just started to um, fill it in. And what can happen is, as I speak, uh, some of the things will go down under these headings. Uh, uh, Jenny's going to do the honour of um, putting it on for me, hopefully. If I can uh, get it over clearly... <laughs> Enough where they go, but I mean, we can make it up, can't we? <laughs> Just slap them anywhere. But anyway, um, uh, the other thing I want to say as well, and we have to be clear about this, there's a big difference um, between the subject of what we believe about prayer and then the activity of praying for people. Now, you might say, no, surely the, the, what we believe about prayer, we then do with people. yes. But we have entered an age, and this, this isn't an excuse, I am just trying to, by the way of explanation, we have entered an age where the biggest problem in uh, Christian circles is a word called abuse, spiritual abuse. And um, when you're in a situation now where you can lay hands on somebody and even start using things like, the Lord is speaking to me and telling me that this about you, you are entering a world now that's incredibly scary because if the person decides you are cursing me or putting me or saying something about me that I feel has made me afraid, has made me feel intimidated, then that person can actually hold you responsible and say that this church is guilty of spiritual abuse. Now, you might say, well, you know, I, I don't know anything about that. Well, trust me. It's massive now, and we, we had a big audit a little while back um, on the safeguarding side of things, which was brilliant. I'm glad we did it. And one of the things that was in our favour as a house is that we are not into personal um, counselling in the sense of taking people into rooms, telling them how it should be, telling them what God says that they need to be doing, and, all that. and that actually worked very much in our favour because even safeguarding now, that is classed as uh, going across the line of, of what is correct behaviour. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we don't want to do it and be involved in it, but it shows you that the arena that we're now in, that we have to be very careful. So if you think, hang on, what's happened? Why aren't we praying for people in this way? Well, you have to make sure that you have the consent of the person they're not going to turn around tomorrow and say you touched me in the wrong place or that you were too um, uh, friendly. Do you see what I mean? And you might say, yeah, but why would people do that when you're trying to help them? We are living in this very difficult uh, place. And so we have made sure that as a house, we are safe for all of you. And there might be things that we might like to say but we'll be very careful what we say and we're going to leave it to the Holy Spirit. And that's why we'll pray and we'll pray without ceasing, but we might not necessarily tell 
the person what we're, we're, we're praying. Does that make sense? Because these things are difficult. Now, forgive me for saying that, but you do need to know. Because I don't want you guys thinking, oh, you know, suddenly they've gone off the boil. They don't want to do this stuff anymore. What we want to make sure is that we provide a place of safety for everybody and nobody ever goes out of these doors feeling that in some way they were, you know, unsafe or whatever. We, you know, we've got to believe big in the context of the, the Holy Spirit's job, right? Do we believe in the, the Holy Spirit's job? I hope you do. Anyway, um, I've said that to, uh, to set the scene and hopefully this will make sense as we go along. But I want to say something else now. Are we, are we okay to be honest? Yeah, um, we, we want to be honest. All right, if I tell you up front, then you can decide whether it's all right to be honest. Okay, um, somebody, uh, well, for many years, there was a couple who kept saying to Anthony, and I, do you know, we pray for you every single day for you and your family. We pray for you every day. Now, that sounds really lovely. And, you know, we were very grateful that they were, they were praying for us. But there's two uh, responses to something like that. And this is why I said I want to be very honest. One response is, well, it hasn't done much good, has it? Come on. We said we want to be honest. Depending on how you feel your life is and the circumstances in your, in your life, you can say, well, it hasn't done much good. If you've prayed for me every day, either God's got his earphones on and he's not listening are you with me? Or the other way of, of looking at it is, well, thank you so much because without you praying every day, I don't know whether I would still be standing today because you know that song that says, through many toils and snares, we have already come and it's grace that's brought us safe this far and grace will lead us home. I do like the idea, uh, I struggle with it, but I do like the idea that what that prayer has done for my family has actually saved us from a, a far worse situation that, that we could be in. Now, that sounds as though I'm saying that my life's terrible and this, that and the other. No, I'm just trying to be open and honest because let's really be honest about the whole thing of prayer. How many of you have prayed for something and you've got before God who is your father and you've prayed and prayed and prayed, but it still doesn't come to pass? Be honest. We're not going to pretend here tonight. You know what that's like. And all in your heart, you know the, the yearning and the things that you've wanted to, to see happen. And it just doesn't. There has to be an answer to that. Now, I know that we can all say, oh, well, you know, we just trust God. And we will. So don't hear what I'm not saying. We will. And we know that he's good and that he, he's for us. And, you know, we, we understand that. But we can't find ourselves in a place where we find things to justify why these things haven't, haven't worked because that's what a lot of people do. I used to find it really hard when somebody would come to a meeting, a testimony time, and they would be thanking God for being delivered from a, a situation. But equally, when they hadn't been delivered, they were still thanking God for not being delivered. And then you're thinking, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And then you realise what they were saying is, I'm glad that I went through it because God knew that I was okay. And if I, let's just use a, a, an illustration. Oh, if, if I'd have been killed, I was okay because I was going to heaven. And therefore, you know, if I hadn't have got through it, I was okay. But what about everybody else who then had been injured or killed? It was almost like there wasn't this explanation. Now, I am, I am fed up of living like that. 
That's why I say I want to be honest with you. I want to be able to say that I understand the concept, even if I still don't always get where I'm wanting to be, but I understand the concept behind. Is this, this making sense? And not just find justifications. Anyway, what I've put here is this. This is what sort of came to me, is what do I do to get the result I want? Be honest, isn't that what we want to find out about prayer? If you can give me a model that I can follow that basically gives me what I want every time. Yeah, but isn't that what most people want? Well, there you go. Preach it. <laughs> yeah, read what you sow and all of that. Exactly. Absolutely. But that's the basic of what we're saying about prayer. Tell me, what do I do to get the result I want? Now, do you remember when we did... Um, uh, I, I did a, a session on salvation one Saturday night and how I sort of took scriptures uh, from the, the uh, mainly in the New Testament that showed actually where we'd gone terribly wrong with our understanding of salvation was based on the fact that we made a one-size-fits-all. Like, for instance, and again, I'm, I'm giving you briefly here, or we won't get down to this if I'm not careful. We, um, you know, the sinner's prayer, you... Um, you believe, uh, confess, you know, that ABC, that's it, you know. And so basically there's the sin of, sinner's prayer. You make you're a sinner, you invite Jesus into your heart and that's the end of it. And so because that's become the model, when then people haven't done that, the question comes, well, are they really in or are they out? And so it all becomes quite difficult and then when you think, well, okay, I'll have a look at the Bible and see what is said about salvation, and you find there's probably 30 different ways when, when uh, you look at it that people were said of being in the kingdom. You're in the kingdom. And that's what we're talking about, isn't it, in the context of salvation? You're in the kingdom. But there's loads of different ways, and you think, hang on a minute. He said to this one, do this, and you're in the kingdom. He said to that one, do that, and you're in the kingdom. Why wasn't it the same thing? It's because in that moment, something was required of that person that basically when they had done what they'd done, qualified them in, in the context of where they were in that time and age of qualifying for the kingdom. Now, I think prayer is very similar because again, we can look at the Bible and find there is just so many different ways of looking at it that you think, say, oh, can't there just be one size fits all? Make it easy. Let's just have... Uh, a sinner's prayer. But what happens is, it, by trying to oversimplify it, we complicate it. What did we do with, with salvation? We tried to simplify it and make it one size fits all, but by doing that, we complicated it terribly. So I just want to be very careful tonight I don't do that. I want to leave it very open, which of course then doesn't give you necessarily the answers you're looking for, but what it does, it releases you to understand it's a much bigger picture than maybe we realise. Is that okay? Does that set the scene? Okay, so before, um, which, which bits have I done? Oh yes, I've got to, I've got to there, haven't I? Yeah, I'm having to work with this and I, I don't do very well. Writing in a, in a tablet, it just looks all funny. I think, I feel I'm a bit dyslexic. When I look at words like that, I can read them, but when I look at type words, does it just seem weird? It's really funny. So if I go all daft, it's, you know. Okay, 
So what I, I've tried to do here, and you, it, you'll, you'll probably understand uh, as we go along, but I wanted to put some headings because we think, oh, prayer, just, just talk to me about prayer. But we start really here because if our understanding of God uh, isn't correct, and then the course, there's this, I don't even know what to say about this, it, him, does he exist, does he not exist? We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, then we've got the whole issue of will, and it's not just God's will, because I've written here, it's his will, mine, my will, and your will, so it's the other as well. Then we've got consequence, and you'll understand what I mean by this in, in a while, that what, sometimes we don't want to pray because we say, well, the consequence of whatever it is I'm living in is my fault. Oh, and I'll tell you what I've, oh, that one for me has been horrendous. Well, I can't, I can't pray. I can't pray for that. It's my fault. I've just got to accept and I'm just going to have to wait until suddenly the spring comes along and the, the, the flowers burst forth and everybody will love me and be happy again and you think when's that day coming and in the meantime I don't pray because it's my fault is it making sense sorry are we all right to see it or am I now stood in the way I apologize if I'm in the way and then the next one is see conditions we find then that all of a sudden that our prayer there's conditions attached if we take scripture and then we have to look at that a bit deeper, which we might not totally do tonight. So there's conditions. I've put one there. Belief. What is it I believe? Right? And, and like I say, we'll, we'll pan this out. Then we've got three basic headers there. One is prayer, which come, you know, supplication. There's a word in the Bible that says supplications, requests, uh, what we ask for. So if you put in a search in your Bible program, and you put in pray, prayer, ask, request. That's where you'll find all your information about prayer. So if you want to go away and do a little bit of a study yourself, you can. Uh, of course, there's going to be other stuff under different words, but I haven't found them yet. <laughs> I'll have to look for them. This one here is dead interesting. Who's heard the term intercessory prayer? Oh, it's great, isn't it? Awesome. Very, very superior and very, very powerful. Well, I'm going to tell you something tonight. It's an invention. It's an invention because what you find, and I'll tell you it now, but we'll come to it again. There is such a thing, but we never intercede for each other. We never intercede for each other. It's always the Holy Spirit and Jesus interceding before the Father on our behalf. So all these people who are having intercessory prayer groups and loving every minute of it and feeling, you know, dancing around almost the, the, the fire, you know, Woo, let's have a real good old time interceding. It's not their job. Now, yes, we can stand because the phrase isn't it, stand in the gap. But do you know how we need to be standing in the gap is literally by action with each other so if, if I see that you're hurting I do something that's my interceding mine get me and it can be all sorts of ways and it would be praying it would be praying and I'll show you in a little while but anyway that's invented so we can add in there actually the Holy Spirit we'll, we'll do it in a bit and then the last one is this spiritual warfare I love this one 
Because basically, if you think about it, this only exists, it depends on your belief about the devil. Because if he doesn't exist, there's no spiritual warfare to do. So we better have sorted that. Now, I know that we're all at different places. And it's always difficult when you're running a study or a Bible study group. If everybody would come to all of them, we'd all move at the same pace. But people don't. We've got things to do. And that's not a criticism, but I'm just saying that that's what happens, isn't it? So some of us have, have, have had discussions about the devil and whether he exists or not. We did a, a meeting, didn't we, in the, the back a, a couple of years ago, which was interesting. But like I say, unless... This one doesn't even exist. Now you say, yes, but there's verses in the Bible. Of course there are. But they still only exist if this is, this, this is there. So I hope that just sets the scene for you for a little bit. So, so prayer is central to most uh, religion. We know that, whatever religion. Um, it's the method of communication. The objective is to influence the workings of the universe. Have you thought about that? That's what it really is. It's like, this is the workings uh, of the universe and I'm in this universe and I don't like the way that my, um, the cards are, it's terrible talking like this, isn't it? You know, in a church, the cards are stacked against me. I don't like it. So how do we change the cards? And of course the universe has to shift. Because it has to shift for all of us who are wanting a different set of cars. Does, does, does that make sense? So we use prayer because we believe God is concerned with human affairs because he is love. So why then, if, he's, if he cares about humanity, does he, he seem not to act? Because that's the issue, isn't it? And you, it doesn't have to be people in church and don't get all offended and upset. You only have to go out into the world. For everybody who's turned their back on, on God and the church, it's why won't he act? There's people in Syria dying. There's the, there's the refugees. Why won't God act? So you either, see why we're talking about God at the beginning? If we believe that he's not concerned, then don't pray. Right now, and we'll talk a bit more again about God. Can you see how I also put this here, and I know moving a bit further forward. But if you believe that the situation you're in, or somebody else is in, is a test from God to find out how much you have faith, don't pray either for crying out loud. Just sit and stew. Enjoy it. Well, do you get me? Don't pray to get out if you really believe that it's a test, suck it up. Equally, if, and remember, I'm saying an if. Can you put if in there, please? I just can't hack not there being an if there. For me, we're doing this for me. Just put if. Because if there is a devil, we have to then say, am I under an attack from the devil in this situation? Which means that either... I have done something very wrong. And see, this was always a problem I had as a, a kid being brought up in church. I'd either done something very wrong to be attacked by him or I'd done something very right. Oh! Do you get it? Oh, you're only attacked of the devil if you're such a warrior and such an incredible spiritual person that that's why you'll get attacked. On the other side, it's, 
Well, heck, you must have sinned big time. What have you been doing? Get it? So which is it? That's why I start here. If we don't understand this, we can't do that. Heck, keep moving on. All right, so we find ourselves confused with the information given in the Bible. Um, like I said, I've not used too much of the Old Testament because, like I said, I, feel, I find it, it complicates things because of a view. Let me just quickly say why. In the Old Testament, for a long period of time, the, uh, the Hebrews, uh, they didn't have a concept of the devil until very much later into their existence. And I can explain more about that another time. If I take too much time now, I'm going to not do very well. But let me just explain this. They believed, therefore, that God was responsible for everything. Whether it was good, whether it was bad, it all came just from God. So when we're talking about prayer then or, in, or coming to God in prayer, you have to realise that they were always coming from the point that whatever was going on, God had done anyway. Now you're looking at me a bit odd. Can you see? So they'd still pray, but in their head, there was nobody, there was only God. Now, you, just, you heard I didn't say there was only a goodie because in their heads, it was good and bad. So there was only one responsible. So that's why it's difficult then to use the Old Testament about prayer, although we can and we will and we'll, we'll try. But anyway, you'll, you'll see where we're going. Okay, so here's the thing. We want prayer preaching tonight to be a certainty, but the, the thing is we can't. But we can preach it as a possibility and do you remember how we, uh, we, we learned a while ago that all things are possible, but they're not all inevitable. So I'm preaching prayer as an incredible possibility for you to put into your arsenal, whatever you want to call it, your, you know, your, your, your bag of tricks, your toolbox, but it will only ever be me being able to give you it as a possibility not as an in inevitability. Are you with me? And I want you to get that and you think, well, what's the point then? Well, what's the point? Why am I in this if, he, if I can't have absolute certainties? Well, I'll do another study for you another time on Ecclesiastes and Job and I will tell you why. And it's brilliant, I promise, but I can't tell you tonight. Is that okay? So write down, Chris said Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, that's good, and Job... And I will tell you what the point is, right? Is that okay? I'll do that another time. So, right, so we've got prayer, prayer, ask. Simple claims of Jesus, because as I said, we're going to look at what Jesus said, because I feel that a lot of the times we've, we've tended to look at what everybody else is saying rather than, than Jesus, and Jesus should be our measure. And it's quite, quite interesting what he has to say. So he made very simple claims but we would have to admit that uh, it's not often our experience that we get uh, what he says. So for instance, so I'm just going to give you one scripture. Ask, this is Luke 7, 7 in the NIV. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Lovely little by thing here. It says, which of you, if his son asks for bread 
we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? So we've got a wonderful, simple premise. This is Jesus talking. He's saying, this is simply what I want you to embrace. Now, be honest, how easy is that? It's not been easy, has it? Now, I'm not saying that we haven't had answers. We have had, I'm sure you can all say wonderful answers to prayer that you've had, without doubt. But what I'm trying to say, it's not as simple as that, that every time we get in that. Okay, but that's, yeah, that's another, that's another occasion. A time lapse, write time lapse down. You can put that there if you like, but not tonight. We can't have that one. So, okay. So, um, what I've done is put these headings, and this is where we're now gonna gonna uh, start. So, what we believe about God and the devil is crucial to start our dissecting this subject, and that's why the concept of hell is very important. Now, some of you still struggle with that, but that's fine. But you see, if we have a hell where God whatever his greater wisdom is, decides that this place is there for people who in life, in finite life, are going to be punished infinitely for eternity because of unbelief or whatever. If we believe that about God there, what is the point of praying for people to be delivered from suffering and trouble in this life? Because it's like saying, why would God be interested in saving Joe Bloggs when he isn't going to be saved for eternity? Because it's like it's almost like wasting a wasting a, a oh, awful in it, wasting a miracle. But that's that's really the top and bottom of it. So again, we've got to decide what we believe about God. There's also. Um, Two, well, there's, a lot, there's quite a lot of words like this, but I'm only going to use two tonight. You can write them down if you want now under these. Uh, under God, om, 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 omnipotent means all-powerful. It'll have to stay in its box, though. Yeah, you're going to have to do little, you're going to have to do dashes and go underneath. Go on. Omnipotent and then omniscient. One is all-powerful. The other one is all-knowing. Yeah, omniscience, basically. Omniscience. Um, so, did you hear what they are? All-powerful. Now, who's heard of these before? Omnis, the omnis, right. Now, again, these are a real issue because they're not in, in the Bible, actually. They're words that were, have been created about, well, it's Augustine's time again, isn't it? You know, about the third fourth century um, and because people like the sound of them well they stick but actually they cause a lot of trouble and again we could do a wonderful uh, session on the trouble these omnis cause because they really do in fact they tend to cancel each other out if you're not careful so for instance you know omnipresent uh, omni yeah that's another one omnipotent means all-powerful but then the question comes well, how all-powerful? If he's that all-powerful, and get this, you'll like this, dead clever. Can God create a rock that he cannot lift? Because if he's all-powerful, 
he can. But then what would be the point of creating something that he can't lift? Now, now what I'm trying to say though is, can you see how the word becomes a problem in itself? Then of course you've got omniscient, which means he's all knowing. Well, we have a problem again. If he's all powerful and he's all knowing and he knows what's going on and he sits and does nothing, then that makes him incredibly horrible. Now, do you see why those two words are a problem? And I've put them there for that reason. We have to say that cannot be right. Because if it is, we're going to have trouble praying. It's pointless, you see. And again, as I'm talking, if you think of questions, just write them down and we'll, we'll tackle them. But we've got to sort of just get this out, if, that, if that's okay. <sighs> Go fast, can I speed myself up? So here's the thing. Does God know everything? Um, can he just do what he wants at any given moment? Now listen, some people really struggle with this because the moment that you suggest that God can't just be God and do what he wants when he wants, oh, people get really upset. But remember, we've used the phrase, the ungodlike God. It's not because he can't, it's because he won't. It's because he restricts himself in order to... Uh, cooperate and participate with you and me, right? But it's not that he can't. He, he, change, he probably changes the whole, his whole rules about himself to accommodate us. Now, isn't that just amazing? But people struggle with that because it's like somehow God is not as powerful then as he should be. I would actually go down the line to say it makes him more powerful because anybody who is willing to limit themselves to that degree, is amazing. I find it just utterly amazing. It's if you're really good at something and you're willing to almost be rubbish for the sake of somebody else to catch, catch the plot. Do you, do you get me? So anyway, right. If we believe that God knows everything already and has already determined what is uh, going to be, then why bother praying? So you've got this whole idea of God being in control as well. That can go on there if you like. God being in control and he's already predetermined everything that's happening. Now, most of us think there's a little bit of both. There are some things predetermined, some things aren't. But we've got coming up, we've got the whole thing about will, haven't we? We've got about free, free will coming up. We've got about God's will, my will, your will. So if he's totally in control, then the will thing, other than God's will, doesn't even come into it, right? So those other two would be not there, it would just be, be, be God's will. Anyway, I'll carry on. Um, if we believe it, he doesn't know everything, then prayer is brilliant. Now, some people find that hard. How can we be telling God something that he doesn't already know? Now, that's really great because if you search the Bible and many different places you find that what's clearly being told is that God only knows what he knows when reality has actually um, created it. So he knows reality, he knows what is now, but he doesn't know down there to tell me what I might do next week because he's left me to decide whether I will or not. Now you might say, well, he does but he's still not sure whether you will or you won't because he's actually left that in your hand. But he's actually got it in his mind, every eventuality 
I know what I'm going to do. Which is brilliant, isn't it? Think about the connotations of that for mankind. Whoa, that's amazing. Um, an example of this, in case you, you, know, you don't think it's right. Do you remember when Abraham is taking Isaac up the hill to sacrifice him? There's a phrase that he says after. He says, uh, now I know that you fear me. Blah, 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 blah. Well, hang on a minute. Didn't he know that, he, that Abraham feared him? According to the, that scripture, no, he didn't. But all of a sudden, saw the reality, says, now I know that you fear me. We can move on to something else. So don't get in your head, because that will affect how you pray, that God knows everything, so therefore he knows what's going to happen, so why bother? And, you know, anyway, moving on. Um, uh, I've said about, do I believe that God is in control? Have we got control on there? Yeah, we're all right there. Um, Mm. And we've already said about, does God use trials and circumstances to teach me, them, us, whatever? Um, and like I said, if that's the case, we shouldn't be praying to get out of the situation prematurely because if it's going to do us good, we better stay as long as possible. Yeah? I don't think so, do you? Do you think so? Do you think that's what, what a daddy does? I don't think that's what daddies do. And like I said, we've been evil now to give good gifts, so... So we talked about, is it possible that we ask uh, potentially for God to do things that he cannot do? Now, I do not mean he cannot because he hasn't got the strength, but he cannot because he can't go outside of his, his commitment in his heart to his creation, which means, yes, he has the power, but he's going to limit himself for the sake of his covenant or, or his commitment. Does that make sense? Right. So um, let's have a look. Where are we here? Um, also, the point is that we might be asking, and, and there's a scripture for this, but I can't say I've, I've found it, but um, um, basically we might be asking God through prayer or asking Father through prayer for things that he can't do because he's actually already done it. And the only problem is, is that we haven't understood that he's already done it. And a perfect example of that is when we talk about praying for people to be saved. See, if... if and we'll come to it in a little while because it's a, there's a good example of this. If we are meant to be the manifestation of Jesus in the earth, then he leaves it to us to get alongside people in order that the glory of God might be seen and they catch the light and understand that they've got actually what we've got. It's just that they didn't know it, right? Even Jesus in uh, John 17 uh, and I'm probably going ahead, but he, he, he didn't actually in his prayer that to the Father, pray for the world. And you think, well, why didn't Jesus pray for the world? Because he actually said, no, the world is your job. He was saying to the Father, can you glorify yourself in my disciples in this group so that the world might see and know that they are loved by uh, you as much as I am loved by you. So can you see, he didn't pray for the world because the father wasn't going to do anything he hadn't already done. What was left was for the disciples and us to get out there and be, be Jesus. And it says, oh, I'll, can I move on from that and uh, come back in a little bit? Because I think you'll like that when we get to it. So, um, so uh, where am I? Uh, here we are. Um, do I believe that God is petty, that he won't do anything without me asking? 
That's another one, isn't it? He says, it, it says that he, he, he cares more than we have a clue. And so it's the stuff that's going on all the time that we don't even know about it. And yet that we have the audacity to say, well, you know, he's waiting for me. <laughs> you know, if it's me who prays, then something will happen. Anyway, uh, so the scripture that says that uh, he knows what we need before we ask, which is a good one. But like I said, that fits still in the context of him only knowing the present reality don't take it too far on that one. So, but we tend to always think we know what's best, don't we? So that's another good one. Um, but if all things are working for my good, why pray for anything other than we have? It's God's will. Now, this is a very Hindu concept. And when I say this, it's not for me to put down Hindus. You know that. I'm just d- delivering a concept of Hinduism. When we go to India, it's so difficult um, in many ways because of their belief in the supreme God, that the people who really need help were supposed to be that way, were supposed to be poor, never meant to be anything but poor. It means that it's God's will for them to be that way. So we shouldn't be actually intervening. So technically, I know it's hard for you to, to, to grasp that, but it's the truth. You, you shouldn't really be doing anything for these people because that's what God intended now again if that's your concept you can't pray it's all right moving on right so the devil we've talked about does he exist but if he does then this is the spiritual warfare we do because um we'd have to say that instead of praying to god we should be battling the devil now you know that that goes on don't you and uh, it's, uh, when Anthony was talking about the drug this morning, I've, I've, I'm totally convinced that people love that fight. It gives them a sense of, yeah, come on, come on, right? Once you actually settle to the fact that he's defeated and actually you're loved by God and whatever happens, you're okay, there isn't that triumphalism anymore. There's not that fight. And when we, we, Anthony and I were talking about it the other day, I'm sure that that's where part of the joy is gone. Just think about it. It was all fight talk. Woo, woo, woo. Don't have to fight. Not fighting anymore. Isn't that gorgeous? But people want the fight. So, um, here's the question. Uh, John 10, it says, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Now, I could, if I had time, tell you that that isn't talking about the devil at all. And that's going to surprise some of you. But... Even if it was, let's take it that, we have to ask the question, is he still loose and active? Or is it finished? Because we're told, and some of you have been told, that he only has the power that we give him. Well, that makes me think, for crying out loud, what was the point of the cross? Is it really finished? Because all we've got is a silly old game going on. And I'm really not happy with that. That's why I want to clarify what we believe at that end of the board before we get into our understanding of praying. So, where did this whole whole idea come from that um, he only has the power that we give him? Um, It's because we have this idea that he, although Jesus died and it said he publicly made a show of them uh, openly, uh, defeating them with his cross, but then suddenly it wasn't as defeated as it should have been 
So what do we want? I mean, it's <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, moving on. Um, this is interesting. And you can put this under uh, the attack because what about this? Jesus said of Peter, Satan has desired. Now remember Satan. I know I've written devil there, but Satan means adversary. So we know that he's just talking about something adversarial. Jesus said to Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Forget this. I've prayed for you. That's what Jesus says. I've prayed for you. Um, so I want to ask a question. Why didn't, instead of him saying, I prayed for you, he just stopped it? He didn't. He prayed. Are you following me? Because in essence, there was something going on in Peter that needed to be worked through, right? So I'm saying I'm putting it all in a big pot for you so you can think about it. Because he, he knew, he knew that. He said, Satan's desire to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. He didn't say, but don't worry, I'm going to stop it. He says, I've prayed for you. Okay, next one, look at this. We know in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus is praying to his father. And what's he saying? Let this cup pass from me. Are we actually saying that in that moment, Jesus didn't have any idea whether he could or he couldn't have the cup passed from him? Did he have a choice? Some of you say no, because he was the lamb slayed before the foundation of the earth. It was foreordained. But I say absolutely he had a choice. And in that moment, he's actually having a conversation with the father and he's saying, I don't know if I want to do this. Thank you very much. It doesn't sound very much fun. So we've got a situation where even in the garden, and it's seen on many films that it's sort of like this, this that the, 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 the devil figure, the adversary figure in it, who's seeking to, to take away what should, should be the, the way forward. But what does he say? He, 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 the father doesn't say, yes, son, that's fine. The answer is no, clearly a no. And, uh, but then, of course, he says, but not my will, but yours be done. So you see in the will part there, we've got the, the, the Gethsemane going on. We've got uh, Jesus, his will, praying for Peter by the will of, 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 um, of Jesus. But what you've also got is the fact that um, Peter... His will would connect with the will of the Father in order to create a, a connection and then bring it to the place of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, conclusion, fruition, yeah, I can't say that one. Okay, so can you see where, where I'm going? So wills are massively important here. So, right, let's talk about will. Um, um, his, mine yours um there are scriptures and we're good i'll bring you to scriptures in a little while because i've got i have got them uh that says that we must only pray according to his will or it won't happen now that's a big one isn't it how do you determine what god's will is i mean isn't that just a i mean it's huge isn't it how do we can say oh well if it's love if it's life if it's this yeah but come on we all have a different idea of what's love and what's life and we can be barking up the wrong tree can't we uh, so easily but um the next question is see does god change his mind 
So we can say, well, all right, I might have found out what God's will is. But what happens then if in the next situation he changes his mind like he's done in other situations in the Old Testament, he changed his mind. And then you think, oh, he changed his mind. So does that mean he'll always have that view on this situation? Or might he change his mind back again? So we've got a really massive situation here that we're talking about. So right, um, right. This is the, the good one here. Can God intervene without affecting someone else's free will? So there's things that I've wanted and I have practically beaten my fists into the floor because I wanted them. But guess what? Somebody else was involved. It's like when you're in love with somebody and they don't love you back. What do you do? You cannot do a thing. And you see, we often are doing things through prayer to our Father that actually involves the will of somebody else and we cannot do a thing. Now, it, that sounds very, very uh, negative. What we can do in those prayers is actually say things like, okay, I appreciate they've got a will. Good, good start. So I'm not going to just try and beat them over the head to make, do it my way. They've got a will. And then we say to Father, right, between me and you, partnering with your will, my will, what mebbies can we do to help the process so this happens? But I'll tell you what, I would say in that arena is where my prayers are mostly not answered. Think about it. Because don't we all want to live happily and get along? And yet when I pray, I'm saying, oh God, will you, will you make this person be my friend? They hate my guts. And he'll say, sorry, mate. Can't do a thing about that one. Do you, you, you get me? So there's a lot of things. Think about what are you praying, which actually is, would have to, God would have to violate somebody else's will. Okay, um, can he do something for me if I won't let him? He ain't going to violate my will either. Um, and I've already said um, in, in John 17, he didn't pray uh, for the world, which is really quite interesting, and I will turn that up uh, in a bit. Okay, can we come to the next thing now, which is consequence? I know we've talked about it a bit, but we'll maybe add a few more bits to um, um, consequence. What I found interesting, there was... Um, and it's, it's, it's back to a, uh, a, a thing I've mentioned before. Um, lost my train now. Um, where's the witches of scripture? Right. Can you put up, is somebody at the back? Can you put up Matthew 24, 20, please? Because this, it's just something that caught my eye and I thought this is really interesting. Um, this is Jesus, he's talking, so we have to pay attention basically to his words. Um, pray that your flight, now okay, let's just talk about what he's talking about. A lot of people use this, you know, when Joel was talking about Revelation a while back, a lot of people use this as part of the future of the end times rather than putting in it, it in its context. And what Jesus was really talking about here was he did have an understanding of what was going to happen with Jerusalem. 
He knew that the Romans uh, weren't very happy people when it came to living at peace with others. So he knew this was coming. And so he's talking about this event. And these two things just stuck out to me. Because look, look at this. And it fits in with whether we believe that God knows everything or not. Again, as well, because I found this interesting. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. Now, I could say, well, hang on a minute. Don't he know whether it was going to happen on the Sabbath or winter? Wouldn't it be better saying, look, I care about you guys. Because in the verse before, it's talking about pregnant mothers who basically are going to have to leave their homes and flee to the mountains because of all this horror. He could have said, look, I'll tell you when it's going to happen. It's going to happen on this date. You'll be packed and ready and don't forget your coat. But he didn't. But he does say, pray that your flight will take place in the winter. So basically in their minds, they've got it and they are, isn't it interesting? I know it's not P-R-E-Y, praying on, but you're praying on a thought which says, we've been warned about something so we can at least be prepared. So see what there but then there's the bit at the bottom look at this uh for then there will be a great distress unequal from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again if those days had not been cut short no one would survive but this for the sake of the elect those days will be shortened now i don't want to get into who the elect are because that's a can of worms like uh just think calvinism when you see that word, the, the elect. So we know that in there, whoever did the translation of the scripture had, had, had got the Calvinism bug, right? That's why you've got to be aware of what's been put there because translations actually give it away. So the elect, we know Calvinism's part of that, which basically decides that God's already decided who's in and who's out and don't matter whether you, you do anything. You ain't going in because God hasn't... Uh, decided that but this is the business it's this that unless those days were shortened no one would survive so what we're actually being foretold is that there's going to be an intervention by something quite incredible even though the consequence might have been somebody else's fault I think that that's wonderful that gives me hope because it's saying do you know what if the thing was to go on as, as long as it could go on, do you know you're going to be absolutely uh, obliterated? But actually, I'm giving you some hope. We're going to shorten it. Shorten it. So that's what I mean in here by consequence. We can actually have things shortened, time shortening of how we feel. So it might be my fault, but the, the actual experience might be shortened. Isn't that? Lovely. Anyway, moving on. All right then. So having covered those, we get to conditions. And um, you can stay up here and just under belief, you can put words like faith. Now these don't seem to be a problem, but you can see what I'm getting at in a minute. Faith uh, in my name. Righteous. And then we'll have a bit of a laugh, put head coverings. Just for fun. Is that all right? Can we have a bit of fun? Yeah. Go down the line. Um, see, it's so funny that I was brought up 
in an era where women couldn't pray verbally in church without a hat on. Boy, did we have some fights over that. There were people who just would not comply. No way, I ain't wearing a hat. And then, of course, they wanted to proceed to pray. So what are you going to do about that? You've been told you can't do it without a hat. Well, you know, it was, yeah, it was great fun. Oh, my, my poor dad, didn't he suffer over those stupid hats? Anyway, you'll see where, we, where we're coming to that in a minute. So these are the conditions. Oh, oh can you put another one on? Uh, sin. Oh, that's a good one. Sin probably should have been before head coverings, but, you know, it's probably slightly more important, but I don't think so. No, maybe that is the right order, because we're, at least we're told that sin's been done away with once and for all. The hat thing went on forever, it felt like, anyway. But anyway, um, it was really interesting that um, uh, when you start going through the scriptures, if you put in, in you know, words like prayer and prayer, um, what you find is all these conditions then start to come up. Now, isn't it interesting how that that's what happens with prayer? Remember the verse we read at the beginning? It was just basically ask, seek, knock, ask whatever you want and it shall be done. Very, very simply. But then all of a sudden we find a whole bunch more scriptures that start adding in conditions. So uh, we've given a few, few lists there and I'll, I'll start to read some. You don't have to necessarily put these on the board. I'll just read them out. Um, in Matthew 9... Um, there's the story of uh, Jesus and the blind man. And uh, Jesus asked, he says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, the blind men replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Now, you see, where we have an issue with all of this is that let's say that we know with hindsight that those guys went away and they were healed. But had they not been healed, what would be the reason they had not been healed. Come on, just tell me. What are the two things? It was belief and faith. So, which we need to add at the bottom is a great big word called condemnation. Because while ever we go down this line, and it all sounds very nice, well, of course, we have to believe and we have to have faith, but it puts it into a situation where the failure and the condemnation becomes unbearable. Because what we're basically saying is we can never meet up to what is required for this, for me, to get what I want. Remember what we said at the beginning about how do I get what I want? Um, the sin one at the bottom, I was reading a book the other day and it was just so, so unbelievable that this guy had got cataracts. And so please forgive me if anybody in here has got cataracts. Don't want this to be put on you at all. And he'd gone into a meeting where they were praying and he said he'd got cataracts. Well, immediately this person told him that he must be in sin. And in fact, because it was his eyes, it must be something that he was watching, i.e. it must be porn. And therefore, that's why he couldn't see and he wouldn't be healed while ever he had sin in his life. So you have all these things which are just so horrible and so cruel and uh, really heaps condemnation and in fact it wasn't true at all I mean you you can tell it wasn't true but I'm just telling you anyway um moving on anyway so John 14 Jesus speaks again he says yeah anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing um and then it says uh and I and I will do whatever you ask in my name now, all this sounds wonderful. Don't get me wrong. It sounds great. It's great. It's in the name of Jesus. 
But uh, if, right, if Jesus is the exact representation of God at that end, right, and you've got this very, very warped understanding of him, then the name of Jesus that you are using in order to ask whatever you want is not the same Jesus who we're asking of the Father. Does, did that come across? Sometimes you can't say that twice, can you? But can you, that's my point. So when we say we pray in the name of Jesus, it's like saying, which Jesus? Now, I know that's a bit of a Rob Bellism, and I, I'm very grateful for him for bringing uh, you know, his, his awesome literature to us. But that's the key here. In the name, in my name, which Jesus? What do we believe about the Father, which Jesus is the exact representation from, which does mean then when you use my name, you will get what you ask because you have not attributed to the Father those things which are not true. Does that make sense? Okay. Right, next, next little bit. Uh, we have another one in, in my name, uh, but that doesn't matter. Then we go back to one that was about the will. It was this. This is the, uh, sorry, 1 John 5, it says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, and you're thinking, oh, stumped, that's it, I'm out. It's, it's like Dragon's Den, isn't it? I'm out. Um, um, and, this, it, uh, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, oh, I've had that one, okay. Um, but listen to this, this is a, a weird one, just following on from that. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin, oh, this gets so complicated, that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. Oh, how lovely. But that's about a brother who, hang on, are we not violating his will? But it says here that we can, uh, which does not lead to death. But then, of course, he throws in the right spanner. There is a sin that leads to death, and I am not saying that he should pray about that. Oh, so we've got some things we can't even pray about. Oh, I don't know if I get, uh, you know, I'm just putting it in the pot. Um, so I've put here, this is getting very complicated. Is there no hope here at all? Matthew 21, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, do you want to put doubt in there as well? Because that better come in there. Um, you will say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. I don't know what the point is of throwing mountains into seas, but you know, okay. Um, I know it had a symbolic issue because they were talking about uh, Mount Zion, wasn't it? In the context of uh, Jerusalem's main mountain and it was, you know, very, very, it mattered, let's put it that way. Um, then we have Mark 9, which I found was really interesting. Um, it's the story about the demonised boy. And this is what um, the, the, how the story goes. Basically, the father said... Uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So all of a sudden, we've got unbelief in the mix, yet Jesus is still going to heal the son. But Jesus didn't pray. He rebuked the spirit. So he actually entered into some spiritual warfare. Oh, so we might have to go and have a look at our thing down there. See what I mean? Because he, he said, because what it says here, it says, um, um, he rebuked the evil spirit, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. 
And then he says, this kind can come out only by prayer. So the word prayer doesn't always mean just the asking. It actually might mean putting your finger in somebody's face and rebuking. Oh, hang on. This is on this level now. Oh, so am I praying when I rebuke something? Oh, can you see what we're doing here? It's changing. It's developing, isn't it? So Jesus is showing us then that prayer, because he says only this can happen through prayer, but it's actually the, the rebuke of a spirit. And I liked what Anthony was preaching about on um, Saturday, about being of a, a different spirit, which was awesome. Okay, another one, James 5. If any of you is sick, now we're into something, you know, well, if any of you, if any of you are in trouble, he should pray. Um, is anyone happy? Let him sing. That's a good one. We'll all be singing our heads off, won't we? Um, is any of you sick? He should call the elders. Now, here you go. You've got another condition of operation here. Call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Now, it's great. I'm loving it. But can you see how each thing is getting bogged down? And it may be. See, that was in James. I find it interesting that Jesus actually keeps it simple. But as you go more, and I haven't given you loads of scriptures for the end part of the New Testament, like Paul's epistles, because actually you find that it's once Paul gets hold of stuff that it actually starts to become more, more complicated. There's more conditions after uh, once you get into to, to Paul's uh, place. So, okay, then we have this one. Um, uh, we've got righteous there. Um, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So again, it's suggesting, and this is in Peter, that we've got a condition that says righteousness is a condition of our prayers being answered. But then we have to ask the question then, what makes me righteous? Are we righteous? Are we not righteous? Is this a gift? Is it earned? Can you see how it all gets... Uh, interesting. Um, uh, and then, um, this, I said I was going to use just one from the Old Testament, and it's this, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, and it's a, it's a scripture that you'll all know, and it's this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, so we've got uh, people who are called by my name humbling themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, then, I call it the if and then uh, condition. So do you want to put if and then down there? The if and then for crying out loud. I don't believe that any of you do this with your kids. I know that there are times when you have to, you know, put your foot down and say, hang on a minute, this is just going too far. But most of the time, think about it. Aren't we more yes parents than no parents? I am. I, I, I want to I say yes if I can. And I actually believe that that's the same with our father. He's wanting to say yes all the time, but he finds that we get in the way because of if we go back, it's our belief about God, it's a belief about the devil, it's a belief about the conditions and all this, you see. So, right. Um, uh, yeah. And then you could say that scripture also, the one that we've uh, read from 2 Chronicles, is actually saying if they will humble themselves and pray. So prayer in itself becomes the thing that you have to do in order to get 
your result. It's like there's nothing out there that is organic and working for my good. It's all having to come under very strict things. Anyway, okay, moving along. Um, okay, so what can we ask for? Let's now go into this thing here. Um, in Ephesians 6 verse 8, it says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers and requests. And I love this. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And I thought that's brilliant because, I, you know, I figured that's why there's places around who pray for the dead, why they pray for the saints. That's why you have your saints day. Because it's not necessarily just talking about those who are believers. It was talking right across the board. You know, people who... who um, uh, were be believers either now or gone. Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry your prayers, basically. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Have you noticed, though, they don't tell you what? It's not telling you what, just telling you to do it. Um, and then, said here, this is in invented. And the reason why uh, it's invented, and I know I said this at the beginning, but in Romans 8, uh, 26, it says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we don't know what we ought to pray. Now, that's an interesting one, isn't it? You haven't a clue what to pray, um, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So we've got God's will going on and we've got uh, the Holy Spirit here. So if you want to write Holy Spirit and then also Jesus there because these are the two who are interceding on our behalf before the Father. And then Hebrews 7.25, we get the scripture. Therefore he, Jesus, He's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So who is interceding? So if anybody comes to you and says, you know, you ought to have an intercessory prayer group, you say, no, I'll just leave all that to Jesus. Thank you very much. Leave that with him. He does it better than me because most of the time we don't know what uh, to pray for. Okay, so spiritual warfare, the last one. Luke eleven twenty one. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. So this is basically, if we believe, and I'm saying if because we have to look at this some more, if we believe that that it's an attack of the devil or the adversary. Basically, that is when we have to do spiritual warfare in the context of battle, and we wouldn't be praying to the Father for that. We would actually be taking the battle to the adversary. And um, uh, there's another scripture that goes along with that, which is we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I've missed something out, haven't I? Okay, uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but war against the powers of darkness. Um, we know that. I mean, I was thinking of the song we used to sing, but we are mighty through God, through the blood of the Lamb. Who has rendered is the enemy powerless. We are pulling down every work of Satan. Do you remember all of them? Whoa, we used to. Do you remember Eunice? Absolutely battle it, we did. Um, 
and we've already touched on, on that a little bit. It was very much a, a 1970s preoccupation with uh, uh, battle, um, you know, which was interesting. Um, so here we go. I want to just tell you now, according to Jesus, what can we pray for? Matthew 6, 5. I like this. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Now, isn't that interesting that Jesus would actually have to put some sort of a, uh, a, a, a phrase at the beginning about just watch what prayer will become if you don't watch. Because, yeah, there's something about a hypocrite who likes to be seen to be the words coming out, but it's because they want to show that they know it. And I know going back a long time, and I'm not saying this is happening now at all, but it used to be that when somebody stood up to pray, it was almost like gossip because anybody who stood up to pray, by the time that person had ended, ended, finished their prayer, you knew every detail about the person that they were praying about. You also knew their opinion about the person that they were praying about and what God ought to do to sort it out. You know what I mean? And everybody in the room knew too. Oh yeah, it was, you know, brilliant. So you can see why Jesus is saying, don't get into this. And that's why in some ways I'm, I'm glad that we have taken it into the prayer without ceasing. Let's constantly keep a, a, a heart open, a prayer life in private, in our hearts. And maybe, you know, couples getting together to, to, to agree on something, but very much in a sense of um, not um, gossiping uh, prayers for, all, for everybody to know. Um, there are things that people should know for safety, but then we keep the rest. Um, then your father who sees what he's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. Now babbling, that's just being repetitive. And isn't it true? How, when we're asking God, or uh, I keep using the phrase God, but when we're asking the father for something, isn't it amazing how we just, don't we absolutely nag on? Because it's because we really don't believe that, we're going to get what we're asking for. For they think that they will be heard because of many of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then, of course, we go into the wonderful thing, um, the, the very simple prayer, um, our father. Now, I don't want to freak anybody out, but our father, that actual prayer, is not, uh, what's the word, um, unique to uh, Hebrews. It's a prayer that's actually found in many other uh, religions, very slightly different, but it goes back many, many thousands of years that it's, it's a prayer that it, I think is brilliant because you can see that within that, the, the context says, well, actually take your, this prayer to the Father. And in fact, when you're, when you're asking for those things, see, I, I don't know at times if, and I've covered this already, but there's, there's another point I want to make that, you know, when the scripture talks about your, your, um, your lips are praising me, but your heart is far from me. Have you ever thought that when we're praying, if God looks at the heart, we can be saying one thing, 
but the heart's saying something else. That really worries me a bit because I can be saying, I want somebody to be whole, I want somebody to be okay. But in my heart, am I really wanting that? And when I read somewhere that somebody said, do you know what? You always get your answers to your prayers. It's just that you haven't realized what you were praying. I don't know whether it's very true. I'm just offering it into the pot. So anyway, we have the Lord's Prayer, um, which is obviously affectionately known as the Lord's Prayer. And he says, this is how you should pray. And of course, it there's more to it than just face value, but let's just take it face, face value tonight because I think you'll find that it'll be very helpful. So we recognise Father in heaven. We recognise his name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Right. Taking that like that, what are the things that we can bring in prayer, right? We want the kingdom to come. Brilliant. We want provision. Now, I think we have to think about that one because once provision gets past being provision and being excess to the point of, well, I just want more and more and more, which sadly is what the consumerism has become. And then people are praying for things which actually, that's not provision. They don't fall into provision here. With me? So, but you can pray for provision. Awesome. Um, How we are led. Don't lead us in the way of temptation. Um, And also helping with forgiving of others. Help us to forgive our debtors. So when we take those just four things out of there, we can actually be confident that we are actually praying the will. We're praying the will uh, of the Father. So um, where are we now? Okay, Matthew 5.44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be the sons of your father in heaven. Now, don't let that line, that you may be the sons of your father uh, in heaven, confuse you. It's not saying that if you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that's what actually gets you into the kingdom. It's just saying then you will be sons in the sense that like father, like son. Do you get it? This is what I do. And if you do that, you'll be like me. So I I hope that's uh, clearer. It's because he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. This is what's interesting. Because often, we even, in our understanding of that end of the board, we believe that, and this is why I want to look at Job and Ecclesiastes again, we have this silly idea that the sun will shine on the good and the rain will rain on the bad. But he's making it very clear, that's not how I operate. That's not how God works. He says, no, he says, the, the, the people who are not so good are going to get the sunshine and good stuff. Even if they break all the rules, I'm still going to shine my sun on them. And even those who think that the, the goody two-shoes, they're going to get some rain. And we don't like that because we think, no, I don't deserve rain. But in fact, rain and the sun go hand in hand and we need them both, you know. So, um, okay, uh, and we, of course, we've got Jesus praying on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So these are specific things that we can, um, we can request. 
Right, just coming back to this John 17, because we're nearly, we're nearly done. Um, John 17, uh, he, can you put it up, please? Because I, I might not remember this, but um, what's interesting, Jesus first prays for himself. Um, and look what he says. He says, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. And then if, if we go down a little bit more, then he starts praying for his disciples and he's asking for the Father to glorify them. Now, we touched on this a little bit at the, the beginning. Um, and in between that bit, he's, he's praying for this protection for his disciples. He's praying that they'll be one in unity. Listen to this. He's praying that none of them will be lost. But then, is it up there? Because it's in, it was in my, uh, my version. It said, uh, except, except for Judas, the son of perdition, who was doomed to destruction. I mean, that's an interesting line to throw in there. Do, do you understand what I'm getting at? With all of a sudden, he's praying for the disciples that none will be lost, then in brackets, except for Judas. And you wonder who threw that in. That doesn't sound like Jesus to me. Um, but anyway, it's like, why we're back to did Jesus not know because if he knows everything but see he's saying he prayed that none of them would be lost didn't he know who would be lost but he did know that Judas was going to be lost sort of clear here it or whoever was writing it has put it there very clearly um but like I says he doesn't pray for the world because verse nine where's verse nine let's find that please yeah um he says I'm not praying for the world um, there, I'm not praying for the world, but for those who have given me, for they are yours. Then go to the next. They're all I have yours, and all I have, and all yours is mine. Uh, is it next? Is it the next bit? Uh, oh, sorry. It might be. Uh, so basically, it was saying that. Um, that the reason why he wasn't going to pray for the world was because if he prayed for his disciples to be glorified, basically have, have the, the glow of all that was going on, then what would happen, they would be the ones who would go into the world in, in, in order to do that. And then there's another thing that he says. He said that give them joy. So this is another thing that he was praying to the Father for. I always think it's nice. If you hear what Jesus is praying to the Father for, that gives me a good, pretty good idea what I might pray for. So I can pray for you to have some joy. I can pray for us to be unified together. You know, instead of praying about the stuff, pray for these things that we might be in unity, that none of us will be lost. Now, you know, we're not talking about hell at that side or whatever, but none of us will be lost in such awful situations that we don't know what to do with ourselves wouldn't it be lovely if we can keep free free of that um then it says that he prayed that they'd be sanctified by the truth now there's a, a, a lovely thought there that i'll just put in here is this that moses got into trouble back in the old testament uh, with god and uh, again I, I forgot to write the scripture down but it was this God says to him, because you did not sanctify me in the eyes of the people, basically, you're not coming into the land. Now, I know we're talking old covenant here, so things are different. 
back then. I always remember things are different. But think of those words. Jesus is praying that the Father, to the Father, that the disciples will be sanctified by truth. Then we've got this incredible um, thought back in the Old Testament saying, because you did not sanctify me in the eyes of the people. So how do we sanctify God in the eyes of the people? I just think this is amazing. We make sure that he's seen for what he really is, not that bit down there that's got all this horribleness attached to it that stop people seeing God as he really should be. Do you see how we sanctify him? Now, I actually believe that uh, we as a house are truly sanctifying God in the eyes of people. We're sanctifying him. We're making him pure. We're making him wonderfully trustworthy. We're making him beautiful. We're making him faithful. We're making him uh, so loving and kind and compassionate, long-suffering and all these things. That's what we are doing in the eyes of the people. And I believe that what God is saying to us, because you're sanctifying me in the eyes of the people, you can enter in. Now, don't get me wrong. This is entering. He's not about heaven, hell. I'm talking about entering into the kingdom and having a a deeper understanding of truth. Right, very quickly. Um, 1 Thessalonians um, 5.17. Pray continually. That's why we coined the phrase, a prayer life, not a prayer time. Because uh, the truth is, it shouldn't be where we just decide, oh, I've got something to request, therefore. But we can be praying what I've given you there, that list. We can be praying that all the time. That we might be one. That we might be sanctified by the truth. That we might have joy. That These are things that we can be asking for all the time. Um, and then just... Two more and then I'm done. Uh, James 5.16, I think that this is a biggie that most of us struggle with because it says, confess your sins one to another and pray so you may be healed. I think that we don't see as much healing as we'd like to is because most of the time there is a wall of dishonesty. And when we are honest... And I mean really honest. Now, again, I'm going to even clarify that. I am not, again, talking about honesty where we have to divulge detail to the point of gossip about our lives. But what it is, is that we're not pretending that things don't exist. And we are willing to be open should the need arise. That's what I mean. It's not something that, you know, when you know something's going on, but you don't mention it. That's what I believe is the problem here. People don't get healed when basically you, you know something's happening, but you don't say a word. People are not going to get healed unless we can actually confess to each other and say, oh, I tell you what, I'm with you. Let's pray that we can be one. Let's pray that we can have some joy. Let's pray. Do you see what I mean? Those things, and I, and I know I've moved on, but I, I hope I, we should have had them should have had them written down, but never mind. I'm, I'm not good at this, but... Anyway, then um, uh, the last one, which I'm not very sure about, is Matthew 9.38. Jesus says, okay, pray for workers uh, for the harvest field. Now, I love that one in the sense of, uh, it's just very straightforward. Just pray that workers will go out and get cracking in the fields and work, right? 
But I want to put it this way. Our prayer must uh, be full of empathy, but also full of positive action. If we're not careful, words, and that's what I've missed out, which I'll have to just quickly go back to. If our words don't have some uh, action with them, then basically it's, it's pointless. And, and there's somebody wrote this, that hands that help are holier than lips that pray. It's a good one, that, isn't it? Hands that help are holier than lips that pray. But I believe we should pray too. Prayer should be the hope, the life belt that we offer. Um, we should be asking, what world do we want? And actively try to create it. So uh, this is the last thing in my wrap-up now, and, and I hope I haven't bored you to death. But um, prayer is not just words, but it's action like we've just been talking about. And a lot of people misunderstand this. When Jesus um, was talking about, you have made uh, my father's house um, a den of thieves when it should be a house of prayer. Many people think of prayer in the context of words and they misunderstand such a deeper truth because uh, in Matthew 12, it, this is mentioned. In Mark 11, it's mentioned. In Luke, it's mentioned. So we've got three mentions of this, so it's worth repeating. Um, but the scripture is taken from Isaiah 56, 7. And it says, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. So what does the word prayer actually mean? It means inclusion. And we've mentioned this many times before. That if you are saying a load of words to the Father, but being exclusive in your attitude, then you have not created a house of prayer. And so we might not be standing up very often and praying out loud and, uh, you know, asking for things in a public place. But I'll tell you what, we've got a house of prayer because we've got a house of inclusion. We have put together some things that we're going to look, look at and decide, okay, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about the devil? What do I believe about a person's will? What I believe about the intervention of a consequence is the grace for that. Um, what about the conditions? Are they valid? Um, what is it that Jesus said I could ask for very clearly? And of course, you can go through the rest of the Bible and find other stuff that you told you can ask. I thought we'd just restrict it to Jesus. And understand that we are being interceded for. We, not we are doing it for others. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are interceding for us all the time. And obviously this bit here depends whether um, we believe the devil or not. Um, so the last thing I want to say is just in Jude 120, uh, 120 it says there's a, it's under the heading doxology. It's a nice word, isn't it? Doxology. And it says, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. And I thought, wow, that's in Jude. But I think that's something that we can pray for each other. Now unto him who can keep you from falling. That's it. That's me done. And I don't know if I've answered any questions other than, like I say, make a big pot of stew. So there you go. Okay, just, just real quick. Um, here's what I'm thinking at the moment. 
might change my mind, but thinking at the moment is there's a lot of stuff that we've done. Um, write down any questions that you have, any things that you think need clarifying, and we're probably, again, this way, so we might change, but maybe not. We'll probably revisit this a little more next Wednesday, maybe just have some addition. I might add some thoughts into this and then make some time for us just to talk about the issue because uh, I don't want to be guilty of skipping over it too fast uh, and not giving you the, the time and opportunity to grasp it, think about it and uh, engage with it because it is very important. I think Chris has done a great job in, uh, in giving us a breakdown of, of what are our challenges and, and what are our potential problems. So um, all I want to say about that before I pray one thing is um, I've said this to you many times before I want you to really grasp it I am not so much concerned about what your words say to God as I am what your words say about God I'm jealous for the honor of his name and having listened to a lifetime of prayers I have found myself distressed by what some of my prayers have said about God and what the prayers I have heard have said about God because they have not honoured him in the fullness of who he is as father. That becomes for me then a tester for how we pray. Is it reflecting that issue of who God really is? So we'll probably talk for a few minutes about that uh, next week, but I just want to pray. Father, I pray that we may be one as you are one and in being one together in this, that our sole objective will be to glorify the Son and through glorifying the Son to glorify the Father so that in turn we will also be glorified with that same glory that you have promised. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, we're good, we're done. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again.